Utah. Um, let me open us with prayer. Um, actually, first I want to give you a note. Um, on the fourth page of your bulletin, there are some sermon notes. The outline, um, I've reworded a bit, so I just want to give you that real quick before we begin. Um, you can strike through uh, all the words on that first line and just write a reality check. That's the first point. The second point, you can cross that whole thing off and put a process. And then on the third line, you can cross that out and put a demonstration. So a reality check, a process, and a demonstration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who is great and awesome, and yet you, uh, you draw near to the brokenhearted. Um, even today, as we think about individuals and families in this church who are suffering, who are grieving, who are at their wits' end, we pray that you would draw near. Lord, that you would be the God of all comfort. You would comfort those in their distress as you have comforted us in our distress. And Lord, we know that your word is one of the ways that you bring comfort and the way that you bring knowledge of you. And so we ask that you would meet us today through your word. In Christ's name, amen. One thing I know about this church is that we are pretty good at understanding our theology. We know what we're supposed to know about God. And the Apostle Paul, in the book, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, has spent the first three chapters explaining and fleshing out knowledge of God. He's, he's been fleshing out what we are to know about the good news of Jesus. So, so that knowledge is on the front end. And honestly, that's, where we, that's, that's a strength for this church. Knowledge of God. Theology is a strength. But at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul makes a significant shift from telling us what we are to believe about God to telling us how what we believe about God should change our lives. Look with me if you have your Bible in chapter 4, the first verse. Paul writes, I therefore, in other words, therefore in light of all of this knowledge, about everything I've told you about the gospel, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul sort of drops back into a little more theology. He just can't help it because, you know, he's Paul. <laughs> he's got to give you some theology. Have you, ever, have you ever read Romans? He describes the unity that we have in the body of Christ. And, and, and listen to the tone of, of what he says here at the beginning of chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Preach, Paul. Ephesians 4, 1-16 through 16, is written in a truly inspirational tone. It's, it's big picture. It's big theology. But then Paul gets back to his original thought. And it's a bit dramatic. 
Have you ever been with some friends and you were joking around, kind of, everyone was kind of lighthearted, and then all of a sudden somebody says something really serious and it just gets awkward? Kind of an uncomfortable pause? Well, that's what's happening here in verse 17. Paul is giving us a reality check about the seriousness of sin. Paul is giving us a reality check about the seriousness of sin. Paul says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their mind. In other words, real talk. Listen to this. This is a reality check. I know how you've been living. Trying to have it both ways. Living the Christian life in public on Sunday morning and when you're with your Christian friends. But the rest of the week, you act like you don't even know Jesus. And that, my friends, is the definition of futility. It's completely useless. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Useless. Like a fried egg. Although fried eggs taste pretty good. Paul continues in verse 18, where he writes, The Gentiles, or they, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. Paul is saying, Do you understand that when you sin, you're identifying with what the Gentiles do? You've been brought into the light by God's grace that I've been talking about for three chapters. And you want to go back to the darkness? You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. But God made you alive. By grace you have been saved. Do you really want to go back to that? Do you really want to go back to the time when you were alienated from the life of God? You can almost understand the way the Gentiles live because of what the Scripture says here about the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It's almost like they don't know. But you don't have that excuse, brothers and sisters, because God has given you the knowledge of His will through Jesus Christ. And He has filled you, not only with knowledge, but with His Spirit. Christians, it may not feel like it, but you have the power to change. This is a reality check about the seriousness of sin. And Paul keeps pushing. Look with me at verse 19. They have become, he's talking about the Gentiles, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul describes a downward spiral of wickedness. A downward spiral of wickedness. It begins with ignorance, a lack of knowledge, hardness of heart develops, stubbornness, and then over time calluses develop, which begin to remove all inhibition in the life of the unbeliever. They become slaves to sensuality. They just do whatever they want to do and greedy to do every kind of evil. You know, I think about the time of Noah when the Lord said, 
Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. Every intention of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil all the time. That's the Gentiles. That's who you were. Paul says, we need to turn away and no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul is keeping it real. He wants us to understand that change in our lives is not an option for the Christian. Now, if you're like me and you hear this wicked spiral of evil, this description of the Gentiles and unbelievers, those alienated from the life of God, what comes to mind? I think of something I saw in the news just two days ago. I think of ISIS. I think of a group who just two days ago executed 284 Iraqi men and children who they had been using as human shields. And then ISIS took a bulldozer and pushed them all into a mass grave. You talk about callous wickedness. There it is. Callous wickedness. But let's be real. Paul is saying that when you give into temptation, when you allow yourself a little indulgence in sin, when you tell yourself that I'm really not that bad, Paul wants you to know that you are no better than ISIS. And he says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That's the picture that he wants us to grasp here at the beginning. It's a reality check about the seriousness of sin. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging, feeling convicted a little bit about our little sins that are much bigger than we thought, about our tendency to, to, to slip into that spiral of darkness. Now, he gives us a process for how we can change. Paul gives us a process for how we can change. Look with me at verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. The way of the Gentiles? No. That is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, come on. You know better. How often do you say that to yourself? Come on, you know better. That's what he's saying here. And let's not skip over this word learned. He says that's the way you learned Christ. Jesus has called us to be his, what? His disciples. That word learned is the same word disciple. It's sometimes translated learned and sometimes translated disciple. He's called us to be his disciples. You are his student. And the curriculum is not how to win friends and influence people. The curriculum is Christ. He's the curriculum for being a disciple. You can tell Paul is a little desperate in his tone. Look with me at verse 21. He says, you know, this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul wants us to remember, first of all, that Jesus is our all in all. He is your life, your hope, your substitute, your savior, 
He is your King. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is our curriculum. And over and over in this letter to the Ephesians, we are reminded, as as you read through it, that we are in Christ. We are in Him. That phrase, in Him, is repeated over and over and over again. This means that you, through faith, are united to Christ. That His destiny is your destiny. His cross is your cross. His grave is your grave. His resurrection is your resurrection. His glory is your glory. His inheritance is your inheritance. By grace, you have been saved in Him, in Jesus. And this is our reality, not at some point in the future. This salvation has already been accomplished. It's now. You have it now. If you believe in Jesus, you have it now. You have been saved. But God wants us to change into the person that we already are. Think about that. God wants us to change into the person that we already are in Him. Um, That should give us hope that we already are who He's making us into. But it, it calls for change. And, and so Paul gives us three, a three-step process right here in these next few verses. Step one, verse 22. He says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The old self, he says, put off. The old self, the old man, some of your Bibles say. It's the old you. It's who you were before Christ, B.C., It's the person who believed every lie the devil told him. It's the person who used to drink too much. It's the person who used to stand in judgment of everyone but herself. It's the person who lied and cheated to get ahead. It's the person who lived in fear. It's the person who worried about everything. It's the person who gave in to every sexual desire and thought. It's the person who lived in shame and tried everything to be better, to turn over a new leaf. It's the person who went back to church to try to get in God's good graces. It's the person who lived with a constant sense of worthlessness and failure. And the good news is, through faith in Jesus, it's the person who died with Christ already. And so Paul encourages us to put off the old self. Jesus has bought new clothes for you to wear. And we're to put them on. But first we have to put off the old. So that's step one, put off your old self. Step two is in verse 23 where it says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Have you ever been in the middle of reading a good book and then you realize it's due back at the library like that day or the next day and you hate fines so you're like, I don't want to finish the book and you have to take it back, right? No, there's this thing called renewal. 
You can, my, my wife loves renewal. She reads like crazy. I don't really understand it. If I don't like a book, who cares? But renewal keeps you going in the story. It allows you to keep reading the book. And when we are renewed in the spirit of our minds, we go back and we pick up the story where we left off. We go back and, and, and preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We, we, we pick it back up. We renew the story. And we preach it to ourselves over and over and we're renewed when we come on Sunday morning. We come here and worship. We're renewed. We get our sanity back. When we hear preaching when we sit and discuss the Bible with our families or with our small groups. There's a danger if we don't if if we seek to just put off the old self without renewing, then then that repentance and that kind of obedience is going to turn into something not so good. Legalism. That's why renewal is right here in the middle. It's so important. Because you could be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. But renewal keeps our focus on Jesus. Keeps our focus on the story. So when you're putting off the old self, also be renewing. That's the second step. Don't skip over step two. Renew the spirit of your minds. Step three, verse 24. In Jesus... He says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. Now, I'm going to enter into a subject here that's touchy. Okay, you ready? (laughs) And I know it's touchy because some of you have talked to me about it. Dressing up for work is going out of fashion in a growing number of career fields. Now, you can blame Silicon Valley because I think that's where it started out in California, dressing down on Friday and then dressing down on Thursday and then dressing down on Wednesday and then dressing down all the rest of the week. But there are still jobs where uniforms are important, right? Think about a police officer. If you come up to the scene of of an accident, you want to know who's in charge. And that police officer's uniform lets you know Okay, I can, I can trust this guy. He knows what's going on. He's, he's got this thing in order, or should. When you go to the lunch counter at Chick-fil-A and you see a group of ladies in scrubs, you know they work at the hospital. When you go to the Rose Gardens and you see a woman standing and posing with um, a flowing white dress on, you know that she's what? A bride taking pictures. Who we are is often displayed by what we wear. Who we are is often displayed by what we wear. That's why Paul tells us to put on the new self. Because it does no good to have it in the closet. Put it on. In Christ, we are a new creation. He says here, you are created after the likeness of God. And who who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus. And so we're to put on Jesus like a uniform. Jesus was the second Adam. He was given the opportunity to live in true righteousness and holiness. He was given, he was humanity's second chance. 
And that's just exactly what he did. He lived a life of perfect virtue. So when he died, God accepted his sacrifice as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when you and I trust in Jesus, we put on Jesus like a uniform. We put on Jesus like scrubs. We put on Jesus like a wedding dress. That's how you change as a Christian. You put off the old self. You renew the spirit of your mind. Get back into the story. And then you put on the new clothes. You put on your new self. So now that we understand this process, Paul takes a few minutes to spell it out for us because we need help. And so the rest of this section of this passage is Paul giving five examples that are going to help us kind of flesh out these three, this three-step process. And through each one of these examples, we're going to see a demonstration of how it works. He gives us a demonstration of how it works. Example number one, verse 25. Look, look there with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. So what do you put off here? Falsehood. Put off falsehood. This means stop pretending to be something you're not. Stop playing games. Are you tempted to lie about your work performance, about how well you're doing? Don't do that. What about your age? Wait. Don't lie. There are, you don't have to say everything. But there are countless ways, Christians, that we tell little white lies every day. Put off falsehood, Paul writes. So you put off falsehood, but then what do you put on? You put on speaking the truth with your neighbor. First, you have to know your neighbor. I'm going to plug this afternoon. There's an event downtown on the square from, I think, noon to 3 called the Taste of Orangeburg. Some of you may know about it. Maybe take time to stroll through and meet some neighbors. Speak the truth to your neighbor. Um, and then how do, we, how do we renew our minds in this example? He says, um, we are members one of the other. So get back into the story. Think about the fact that we are members one of another. If we're part of the same body as believers, then why, why should we lie to one another? Why should the hand lie to the foot? We're part of the same body. He's saying, renew your mind. Think about it this way. You're part of the same body body we're members of one another that's the first example the second example comes in verses 26 and 27 where he says be angry that's like my life verse be angry (laughs) but you can't stop there (laughs) it says be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil do you see the pattern developing first he says put off sinning in your anger okay everyone's going to be angry And there are many legitimate reasons for us to be angry. This is a broken and an unjust world that we live in. I mean, how can you even consider politics these days without becoming angry? But don't let your anger turn into sin. It is right to be angry at corrupt and vile politicians. But it's it's a sin to hate them. And it's a sin to wish them harm. In your anger, do not sin. 
Put that off. But then he says, put on the practice of not letting the sun go down on your anger. Wrestle through your feelings. Go to the one who sinned against you. Fight it out in the day. Don't wait for the night. I know that was some good marriage advice somebody gave me one time. Don't go to bed angry. It's probably a good general rule. I know it can't always do it, but... Tell, uh, tell the one who sinned against you what they've done and seek reconciliation. Don't let it fester. Make a practice of not letting the sun go down on your anger. That's what we're to put on. And then to renew our mind. We're to renew our mind here by giving no opportunity to the devil. He's saying, enter back into the story. The devil is a defeated enemy. So don't give him an opportunity to get in your life through anger. Don't let him get in. Remember, he's defeated. He's, he's in chains. At the cross, he was utterly defeated. And at the resurrection, God the Son was vindicated over the devil. So enter back into that story. Remind yourself, the devil, he's, he's done. He's, he's defeated. He has no power. You are Christ's possession. You're his He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Sin has no power over you in Christ. No power. So get back into the story and remind yourself the devil has no power. Give no opportunity to the devil. That's how we renew our our minds. Example number three, verse 28. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put off stealing things. Maybe some of you have a secret habit of shoplifting. Put it off. Maybe you're stealing credit for someone else's work on the job. Put it off. Maybe you're stealing movies by downloading them illegally. Put it off. Don't be a thief. But put on labor. That sounds odd, doesn't it? He says, work. Do honest work with your own hands. Stop stealing and do honest work with your own hands. God has given each one of you unique gifts and abilities that He wants you to use. Whatever you do, he wants you to use. Maybe you're a teacher. He wants you to use those unique gifts he's given you. Maybe you fix radios. He wants you to use those gifts for his glory. And then the third thing here is he says, renew your mind by remembering that God has helped you so that you can share and help someone else. That you may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, get back into the story. Renew your minds and think, you know, I'm not here for myself. Why would I steal? God's given me so much. And He wants me to share it with my neighbor. That's motivation to stop stealing right there. God's given you a mission to do good and to help others. Enter into that story. Renew your mind. Example number four. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths 
but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Paul says, put off corrupting talk. And let's just go ahead and include social media in that. Um, Written talk. So many of our idle conversations only serve to belittle and to harm other people, if we're honest. So much of our idle conversations only seek to to harm and to belittle other people. Um, We become like the trees around Orangeburg whose roots have been saturated with water. And as soon as a strong wind comes, what happens? They They get knocked over. He says it's corrupting talk. That word is like rot. It's, 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 it's rotting talk. It's like, they, it's like you don't want to be like one of those trees laying across somebody's house. Our talk corrupts. Put it off. The corrupting talk. But, but don't only put it off. Put on words that are good for building up. He says, use words that fit the occasion. Think about the context where you are, what you need to say. Use words that give grace to those who hear, that demonstrate God's love for them. Be the person who changes the subject in those conversations. Put on Christ in those situations. Don't worry about what they think. You only have one master, Jesus. And he's empowered you to put off corrupting talk and to put on words that build up. And then this last part here, he says, renew your minds by not grieving the Holy Spirit, by recognizing that you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, You're like uh, a soda that you buy from the store. It's sealed. It's the fizz is all inside. It's it's waiting for the day of redemption. You are sealed. So it would grieve the Holy Spirit if you used your words in a way that tears down people. Because that's not his objective for you. His objective for you is to love and to show grace to your neighbors. So put off the corrupting talk. Put on words that are good for building up. And remember the Holy Spirit indwells your heart. He sealed you for the day of redemption. Enter back into that story. The last example in verses 31 to 32 are this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what are we to put off? We're to put off bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, and clamor, along with the malice. This kind of goes back to that spiral of wickedness, doesn't it? It starts with um, bitterness, just bitter. But it ends up with malice, where you hope something bad happens to that person because they deserve it. That's malice. It starts with bitterness, and it spirals into darkness. And it happens to each one of us. Put that off. Paul says, put on kindness, tender hearted, even toward your enemies. 
And when someone does you wrong, what does he say? Forgive them. And the renewal of the mind is what follows. We do all of that because in God, because God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the story that we have to enter back into. You have been forgiven. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Christ forgave you of all of your sins, past, present, and future, if you are trusting in Him. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, by God's grace, you can change. You can change through this process of putting off, renewing your mind, and putting on. You can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you have been called. Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we are not worthy of these words. Um, there's so much here that, that we are convicted by. But Lord, would you help us to remember that you are at work in our lives and that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. Lord, let us um, engage and renew our minds in the story of redemption, in the story of the good news of Jesus. May that be the story that we rehearse and we renew every day. Lord, help it um, to actually bring change to our lives. Lord, I pray that the, the, the folks sitting here today would consider how they might change because of your mercy and your work in their lives. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen.